0: You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Okay. Well, good afternoon and welcome to today's class. Today we are getting closer to the end of the month of Elul. Just give me a second, a little background noise here for a moment. Okay. Just give me a second. Okay. Okay. So, as we are now in the month of Elul, getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, we also are reading in this week's Torah reading, the Torah reading of Parshas Ki as we'll get to in a moment. But of course, we always like to reflect on the month of Elul and to see the correlation and the connection between the Torah reading of the week and the time of the year that we read it. The month of Elul, we know, is a time for recollection, a time for introspection and to ask ourselves, where are we going, what are we doing, and where are we heading to? And many times this time of introspection and recollection brings us to a certain epiphany and a certain understanding and an awakening to recognize, you know, why God does certain things that we may be not understanding regularly. A friend of mine just recently shared with me about, he is a rabbi in a synagogue, a shliach, doing different classes and the regular uh, routine of, of helping Jewish people doing the different things. And in one time, in the middle of the year, he was uh, offered a position which was going to be with a nice honorarium, if you want to call it. Offering him a nice sum of money to uh, defer from his current position and take on something else. And he wasn't sure, should he or shouldn't he do it. Because at the end of the day, if he's going to take on this extra job, this might take away from his Regular routine and his regular job of what he should be doing as rabbi and whatever may be of course it was within the Realm of it, but it wouldn't be from what he was required. So to speak he accepted upon himself as mandate particularly and If but the money was uh, very tempting because especially with a growing family to support all the things and everything else And he was really interested in doing it and he started doing a little bit of research of seeing if he should take that avenue but suddenly Out of the blue his young daughter had some type of accident had to end up in the emergency room his son called him up from school that he wasn't feeling well and he had to end up in the hospital as well and as he's sitting there in the hospital was sitting while his daughter getting her cast on her hand for the reason that she was in the hospital he starts thinking to himself all of a sudden I started doing this investigation or whatever it may be, into looking into other pastures that maybe weren't mine, and all of a sudden these different things are coming my way. He made up at that mind and his commitment, and he says, you know what? Forget about those other offers. I'm committing myself 110% to what I initially intended to do, was to be a rabbi and to be a teacher and everything else, and everything else falls to the wayside, regardless of what they're offering and what the financial advantage may be. He says, it was unbelievable to see how all of a sudden his son started feeling better, his daughter started feeling better, and everything went back, so to speak, to normal. The so to speak curse that was laid upon him was in essence the greatest blessing because that gave him the peace of mind and the understanding and the appreciation of what really his task and his job is at hand. And it gave him clarity to be able to understand where and what he should be doing. Now, any of us studying the Torah and looking in the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses tells the Jewish people 3,334 years ago, telling them, you will return to God and God will show you the way and you will be able to be in peace. What was God saying? What was Moshe telling the Jewish people? Since when do we get messages from God that we will know the way and what to do and how to be able to sit in peace? And as Moshe tells the Jewish people, you will use the Torah, he uses the terminology, and this song will be for a testimony for you that it should never be forgotten for you in generations to come. Should these calamities come upon you, you will know that this will happen and this will come. Imagine somebody's coming to you Imagine somebody comes and knocks on the door. You see, somebody's coming and knocking on the door. And you're not expecting any visitors. You're wondering, who's coming at this time? Who's coming to my door? Who's knocking at my door at this ungodly time? And all of a sudden, yeah, there you go. And who's knocking on the door? And you see that the person that's knocking on the door was none other than Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth II who came with her whole entourage knocking on your door coming to visit you and you're baffled you don't know what to do i haven't prepared anything my house looks like a mess and all of a sudden she's coming and you say what am i to do how am i going to look how am i going to react and she says i'm not here for any tea i'm not here to have anything else but to see you to enjoy your presence to be in your company what do you then say you're probably flabbergasted How is it that her royal highness is only coming to enjoy my company? Doesn't want my tea? Couldn't care about my messy house? How is that even possible? But then all of a sudden you start asking yourself, maybe. And of course you can imagine that the high that you are on, that this majestical individual has come to see you. Well guess what? Every single one of us is visited by not only His, Her Royal Highness, but the greatest and greatest of King of all kings, Almighty God says, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to talk to you. I want to have some tea with you. I don't care about your messy house. I don't care about your busy life. I don't care about what's going on. I want to have a conversation with you. And who's that conversation? What is that conversation? That conversation is prayer. That conversation is the study of Torah. That conversation is God craves to have a relationship with every single one of us. So now you can imagine that every single one of us have to ask ourselves, how many times do we really acknowledge, appreciate and recognize the beauty, the virtue that God says, I want to have a relationship with you. And for that we say, How lucky is our lot. Um, And how beautiful is our possession. Um, And how wonderful is our inheritance. Every single morning when we say the Shema Yisrael, we we cry out. And we say, and we affirm and confirm that belief and our connection with God, what we are in essence saying, we are dedicating our thoughts, speech and action. We are thrilled that we are able to have this relationship. And therefore... Because of this relationship, we then can see what our true potential is, who we truly are, what our objective is in this world. Every single one of us wakes up in the morning and we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why did God put me here? In just a few days we'll be celebrating the birthdays of the great two luminaries, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, and the Al-Tareb, the founder of Chabad Hasidism. What did Hasidism do? What did it change in the face of humanity? Torah has been studied for centuries. What did the secrets of the Torah, what did the esoteric meaning of the Torah give us? It gave us the ability that we can dig a little deeper than just the surface. We can look and pry beneath the surface and say, what, why, why am I here? What purpose am I put in this world for? That is the beauty Of That's the beauty of Judaism. That's the beauty of what God has put us in this world for, that we can delve into more, seeing what we are here for, what we're about, and how we can enhance our relationship with God. This is what the month of Elul, as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, gives us that ability as well. To have that introspection, and to have that ability to dig within ourselves, seek within ourselves, appreciate who we are, but even more so, appreciate why we were put here in our relationship with God. With that, we can now go to this week's Torah reading and ask a million dollar question. If we are so important and if we are so great and if our relationship with God is that important, why then do we find that this week's Torah reading, all of a sudden does Moses lay out the law on the Jewish people? Talks about the greatest curses and consequences that can ever occur to the Jewish people talks about how God is going to spill his wrath on the Jewish people. How is it possible? How is it possible that somebody, how is it possible that somebody who loves the Jewish people, led the Jewish people for 40 years, dedicated his life to the extent that when God said, I will wipe you out, God says, Moses says, don't wipe out the Jewish people, kill me. And all of a sudden, right before his passing of his life, he says, no, 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 you guys, if you don't shape up, and he gives it to them over the head. Not only that, look at the curses. Many of the commentaries say, why are these curses coming? The curses that are spoken about here in this week's Torah reading and the Torah reading of Parashat Ski are very different than the curses that are spoken about in the book of Leviticus. Well, the curses are spoken about in the book of Leviticus about... Tells us about for a person not observing the commandments properly, the obs- the curses that are mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy are about people not serving the commandments in the proper way, meaning meaning that they want that they don't serve the commandments. It's not talking about a person who doesn't observe at all the law, but it talks about a person who doesn't observe the law happily, joyfully. When a person doesn't observe the commandments joyfully, this is the reason why they get the punishments. Now think about it. We're not talking about a person who doesn't observe the commandments at all. We're talking about a person who hasn't observed, who observes the commandments, but they're not doing it with the right intention. They're not doing it with the right excitement. And for that, they're getting all these punishments. So if you're going to come to shul this week, you'll notice... That when these are read, these commandments, these verses are read in the Torah, you will see that it's probably not pleasant to hear them. And for that reason, we don't even give a person this aliyah. This aliyah is taken by the one that reads the Torah. And the one that reads the Torah reads it softly and quickly. You think he's trying to get through it quickly. Nobody reads it quickly. So it shouldn't be too accentuated because they're really harsh. So why is it? Why do we even read it? And if you'll notice, we read the curses in the book of Leviticus, right before the giving of the Torah, and the curses in the book of Deuteronomy, right before Rosh Hashanah. But we have a Shabbos in between the curses and then Rosh Hashanah. What's the reason why there's an interruption? So we read the curses before the giving of the Torah, as to get us clean, so to speak, before the Torah is given. We read the curses before Rosh Hashanah. The commentators and the sages tell us, And the Talmud brings it down that Ezra was the one that set up of how we should read the Torah. And he set up that we should read the curses before Rosh Hashanah so that we should finish the year and finish its curses. Let the new year start, a new page begin, turn over a new leaf, all the curses are in the past. Why then is there a Torah reading in between? Because it's a little harsh to start the new year on all those curses. So we get a little break, a breather in between. But the point is that we want to finish different curses and it finished them in between. Another example is brought by a great commentator about from 150 years ago, one of the Polish rabbis once said he says, you know when we find, we read about the sacrifices whenever we talk about the sacrifices that should be brought we read about them So, like this, it's as if you brought the sacrifices itself so like this we also read about the curses, so God forbid we should have to be punished by reading about it, it was done. Comes Rosh Hashanah, we have a clean slate. So that's the reasons why we read it. But what are we looking over here at these curses? A few days before Moshe passes away, he gathers the Jewish people, and he says, listen here, fellas. You behave, God bless you, you get all those blessings. You don't behave, That's it. And he leashes it out at them. lets it out of them. And he says, this is what's going to happen. All these curses. And he talks about all the different things. There's no hope. There's no mercy. That's it. You're toast. And he talks about all the terrible things that are going to happen, whether they're drowning, whether they're sicknesses, whether they're illnesses, whether they're choking on themselves, all the terrible things that are going to happen. And we're talking about losses, terrible pain and suffering that may come about. Not only that, if you look at the curses that Moshe talks about, in the book of Leviticus, God talks about the curses. And God tell, mentions about 49 different curses that are going to happen. In this week's Torah reading, where Moshe talks about the curses of the Jewish people, he doesn't suffice with the 49 that God mentioned. 98 different types of calamities, he tells the Jewish people, are going to happen for misbehaving. The difference is <clears throat> that when God says that, they're in plural. You in the plural will get it. When Moshe talks about them, they're in the singular. And he says the individual will get them for whatever it may be. But the question still stays. Why the need to curse the Jewish people? Why the need to threaten? Why the need to worry about retribution? Haven't we learned better that positive reinforcement might be a little better than threatening the negative punishment? Though hasn't Moshe been the educator of the Jewish people if he says you know what give him a little bit of energy some positive reinforcement and say guys you behave you'll get all these blessings but why the need for the negativity why can't he just write the blessings not only that when you look at the blessings itse- when you look at the curses itself we know in Judaism that the very fact of somebody uttering a word in itself is dangerous Meaning, for that reason we say the words without a vow. We don't speak negativity. We always avoid using words which have a negative connotation. We try not to say the word death. We'll use the word opposite of life. Or even you go to the doctor, you go to a hospital in Hebrew, they can call it which means a place of sick people. We call it a place of healing. We always try to accentuate the positive. That's the objective always in Judaism. We even find even in the book of Genesis when it talks about the animals that went into the ark, it doesn't say the impure animals, it says the animals that weren't, weren't clean. All of a sudden over here, Moshe has no problem with saying 98 different curses, explicitly talking about which illnesses, which calamities, which destruction, which havoc is going to happen to them. No, no qualms about it. There's a story of the Balshemtov that once the Balshemtov and his students saw his students getting into a little bit of a fight, and one guy turned to the other and says, "I'll tear you like a fish." The Balshemtov told the students to put their arms on, on one another, like a ring, a spiritual ring. Close their eyes. They close their eyes, and all of a sudden they start screaming in panic. They see that the individual that said I'll tear you like a fish was literally tearing the other guy like a fish. What was the Baal Shem showing them? That when we say something you may not see the effect of the words but those words have an effect in the spiritual realm. Now imagine Moshe saying those words. Moshe didn't know about the effect that it's going to have. Moshe saying the words of course it's going to have an effect. Moshe himself was a victim of this. Moshe told God if you don't like it erase me from your book what did God do? He says I have to keep to what you said and he took it out from one of the Torah readings so we see over here clearly that Moshe knows what it is not only that there's a clear prohibition in the Torah of the book of Leviticus you're not allowed to curse somebody not only are you not allowed to curse somebody you're not allowed to curse a deaf person even though the person's not going to hear it and from here we know you're not even allowed to curse a person even if they're not going to know that you said it Let's say you're hearing the other person's Timbuktu. You cannot curse them. Even if they're not going to hear it. Why? Because you're not allowed to curse a person by the very fact of saying words. Those utterances cause people, cause, have an effect. So how is it possible that Moses, who was the shepherd of the Jews, occurred for every single individual, stood for them for 40 years, at the end of his life, all of a sudden, says something says something to the extent that we're going to be totally destroyed, totally annihilated, have the pain and suffering and calamities that he's mentioned. It's unbelievable the things that are mentioned there. Even more so. When we talk about the different laws that are mentioned there, as we mentioned earlier, the commentaries explain that the cause of these calamities and curses that will happen to the Jewish people, what's the cause of it? What will bring it on? It's not a lack of observance. It's not a lack of, of uh, paganism. Or because of paganism. Or not because of idolatry. But it's only going to be because of not serving God with joy. As it says in this week's Torah reading, all these things will happen to you in the words of the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, because you have not served God out of complete joy and with a complete heart. Really? Would I did the mitzvah? I walked the walk, I did the talk, but because I didn't have the emotion, that's it, you toast. Why? And because of that, all the calamities? Yes, we know that we have to serve God with joy. As it says in the book of Psalms, hashem hasimcha, serve God with joy. of Come in front of him with with sing, a song. But what happened? And the commentaries explain, what does it mean, not serving God with joy? And it gives an example. You know, before you buy something that you really much enjoy, do you look at the price tag? No, because I want it. I like It doesn't make a difference to me. I'll pay for it. But all of a sudden, before you do a mitzvah, you say, eh, can I get a cheaper price someplace else? That's called not serving God with joy. If I start pick, uh, checking and analyzing and saying, eh, today I could do it, tomorrow I can't do it, that's called not serving God with joy, the commentaries tell us. So what is it? Just because of that, we're going to say that a person gets such punishments. And not only that, If this is only to people who don't serve God with joy, I can imagine that a person doesn't serve God at all. Pretty detrimental there too. But over here, what is Moses talking about? Why would it be so harsh? Even if I'm observing the commandments, shouldn't I get some points for that as well? Okay, so the intention wasn't 100%. How come I don't get anything counting for that? And because of this, many of the commentators explain that the joy of a mitzvah is probably more important than the mitzvah itself. Your attitude in doing the mitzvah is more important than the mitzvah. And the question is, how are these curses going to stop you and me from serving God with joy? In fact, probably, it will create a more of an animosity and say, listen here, if God wants to do all these terrible things to me, go ahead, what should I do with it? You know, how can I have stop it? I can't have that smile on my face all the time, I can't have that joy, maybe that's not me. How does that help me? So therefore we have to come to what does this mean? These curses are probably something different than what we're talking about. You know, there was once this fellow that came into a shul and there was a fight that broke out in the shul. And the guy starts yelling at him, you thief, you liar, you cheat! In front of everybody in the shul guy comes to the rabbi says that guy embarrassed me in front of the shul look and not only that he said a lie he called me a cheat a liar a thief what's going on so the rabbi calls over the person and he says is this true that you accused him in front of the shul to be a cheat a liar and a thief and he says absolutely not he says yes you said it i says of course i've said it But he didn't listen to the tune. I said, are you a cheat? Are you a liar? Are you a thief? I was asking. I wasn't accusing. It's all in the tune. The same thing is also, when we read the Torah, it's all in the tune. It's a very famous story that's brought in Ayyom Yom about the second Chabad Rebbe. The second Chabad Rebbe says, the story told, that the Altar Rebbe, in the city of Lyoshnam. He was the Torah reader every single week. He himself used to read the Torah. And every single week we read the Torah. That's the way it was. One year, the Alter Rebbe had to, went on, left the city of Liyazh had to go for health reasons, had to go on vacation, whatever it may be. And the Mittler Rebbe, who was the second Chabad Rebbe, his son, he was still before Bar Mitzvah, he was only about nine, between 9 and 11 years old. And there was another person reading the Torah, the week of the Torah reading of Parashat Kisavah, two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. And all of a sudden, he's listening to the Torah reading, and he's listening to the calamities that are happening, that are told to happen to the Jewish people, and he faints. They revive him, they wake him up, he faints. Finally, they asks them, what did you faint? He says, did you read the Torah? Did you hear what's going to happen? So they ask him, I don't understand, young boy. I understand you're a young boy, but it's not your first time in shul. You hear every single year and you listen to the Torah, why all of a sudden is this not bothering you? And it says he got so sick that there was a question if you can even fast Yom Kippur. They asked him, I don't understand, what happened? He says, every year my father reads the Torah reading. When my father reads it, you don't hear curses, you only hear blessings. It's all in the tune. It's all in how you read it. The curses that are mentioned in this week's Torah reading are not there to scare the Jewish people. It's not the fire and brimstone to put them in the shock and awe to be able to say, oh, we're going to burn and retribution and everything else if you don't shape up or then you get chipped out. That's not what it's all about. It's there to be able to show that God will never give up on the Jewish people. Take, for example, a person suffering comes to the doctor there's two methods how the doctor can go about it. The doctor can say, you know what? You're a lost cause anyways, put you on hospice, have a nice day. Or, the doctor's gonna say, I'm gonna use every tool in my chest to be able to keep this person alive in every shape and way possible. Will it be pricking and prodding? Will there be a lot of ups and downs? 100%. But in order to keep this person alive, this is what we gotta do. Now if it's a regular ordinary person, they might say, okay, boom. You know, whatever's more peaceful, I'll we'll let them do. But imagine this was a statesman, a person who the country was depending on. They're going to use every tool in their chest to be able to make sure that this person stays alive. The same ideas also. You know, usually people go after all the different trends of the world. And the way the trends are in every single nation, in every single atmosphere, in every single type of population, Trends come and trends go. Nations come, nations go. Populations grow, populations tend to go down. Everything's cyclical. There's all different types of ways of things happen. And over here, we see the same thing as well. When you look throughout all the nations of the world who probably governed the Jewish people from biblical times until today, all those nations, some of them are less relevant, some of them are completely gone. There's no more Persians, no more Babylonians, no more Romans. They're all gone. No more Egyptians. They're all gone. The only ones that are still around today are the Jewish people. And over here is what Moshe is telling the Jewish people. Moshe says, listen here. There are many, Jewish, there are many nations around the world. You're going to encounter throughout the next few thousand years all different kinds of ups and downs, calamities, and atrocities that may, account, may come, accord, come to you. But one thing you remember. You are the heart of the Jewish people. There's going to be pain to get you back alive. But we're going to do whatever it takes to get you back alive. Imagine a person has a heart attack. What's the first thing they do? They take those big things and they put them on their chest and they shock the person. You think that feels good? That's painful. You ever see CPR, what happens? They break the ribs. Why are they breaking the ribs? To save the life. In order to save a life, we got to break some ribs. The same idea is also Moshe telling the Jewish people in order to save the life of the Jewish people there's going to be terrible times ahead there's going to be atrocities there's going to be calamities there's going to be problems we're going to have issues but you should remember that all these things are only there in order that we should be able to continue to thrive not only to survive but to be the one that makes it through the Jewish people, that makes it through the nations of the world. While all the other ones will be cyclical, all the other ones will come and go, we will be the only ones for eternity. Think of it this way. You have an, you buy a, a, a shirt in the 99 cent store. It gets dirty. It is not worth it for you to put it in the washing machine. You probably spend more money trying to wash it than, to, than getting the stain out. But imagine you bought this beautiful... Garment that you paid hundreds of dollars for and it gets dirty. You're gonna rub it, you're gonna scrub it, you're gonna do whatever you can to get that stain out of it. Because that's important and valuable to you. The same idea also to Kuzari explains. To Kuzari tells us The other nations of the world never got curses, never went through atrocities, never had this pain and suffering like the Jews had. You know why? Because God could care less. They don't have to survive. They had their high time. They have their bye time. But the Jewish people, because they need to thrive, they need to have that cleansing. They need to be able to get through all the different stuff. And therefore, because God loves the Jewish people, and because of His love out of the Jewish people, He continues to, to forgive them and their sins. And how are we forgiven? And how are our sins cleansed? By sometimes having to go through a hardship, a challenge, or whatever it may be. And therefore the jewish people have to recognize the Khazari explains that the atrocities that happen to us throughout the ages the challenges and the difficulties that we may encounter are only there to shape us to uplift us and to make us greater than we were before from here we understand the purpose of punishment and the purpose of curses or the purpose of the negativity that's mentioned there that moses tells the jewish people is there for one purpose only is only to make us better make us taller make us greater And make us better than we were before. But getting back to what we said before. What's the point of it? What's the reason for us? Why would we have these challenges? Why do we have to go through and encounter these difficulties? It's because again of the mitzvah. Because maybe we haven't served God with joy. What does this have to do? Every smart child understands. That when he's getting punished. It's not because the teacher or parent doesn't like them is because it is shaping them. The reason why they get a test, or the reason why, because they're giving them a difficult question, is to make them think, to get them to a higher plateau. So too, when we talk about God, God is every so often has to remind us and says, I'm here, I am in charge, and I need you. And therefore, I'm giving you a job that you cannot escape. I'm giving you a task that you cannot avoid. And I'm giving you something that you, only you can do and accomplish. And therefore, when the king comes to your door and knocks on your door and says, I would like to have tea with you, not because of the tea, not because of your beautiful home, but because I need you. That's what God's telling every single Jew when it comes Rosh Hashanah. That's what God's telling every single one of us when it comes Elul. And this is what Moses was reminding the Jewish people by telling them these 98 consequences. Reminding them and saying, these are 98 times how God can remind you and say, I need you fall in shape, get into place. There was this uh, Jew, his name was Binyamin Hürgen, and his uh, wife was killed by a terrorist, Esther Hürgen, in a terrible way, in about a year and a half, middle of the winter. And this fellow was giving an interview, he said something very fascinating. He asked him, he, says, he said the following statement, and I think the statement, this one-liner is just unbelievable. He says, From the time that my wife was killed, I haven't gone to sleep one night not crying. I haven't gotten up one morning without a sense of mission. A sense of mission. So the fellow that was giving him the interview asked him, what does the two have a connection with one another? Mm -hmm. He says, you know what I lived through and what my wife went through was something tragic. And I still can't get over it. And when they were going through this whole trial with the terrorists and they were going to take it to court that they had to knock down his house because the way they do in Israel is that if there's a terrorist, they they completely destroy the terrorist's home. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's going on here? And I was like lost. What was I going to do? Okay, so they knocked the guys down house. The terrorist is sitting in jail, but that didn't bring my wife back. So where I go from here? And he says, out of nowhere, I decided to take it and open up the Tehillim. Open up a Psalms. And I opened up a Psalms that I never did before in my life. I'm not a person that opens up Psalms. And I opened up the Psalm 20, 24, I think it is. And in the Psalm it said, Who is the one that goes up on the mountain of God? Who will stand in this holy place? And I took it a second and I said, One second, what's God telling me? God said, one second, you have a job. Yes, you're upset about what happened, but you have a task, you have a mission that I'm giving you, you have a sense of urgency. God has given me a microphone and he's waiting for me to speak. And every morning I wake up and say, what am I doing with that microphone? What am I doing with that task? What is my mission? Every single one of us, God is telling us, the reason why all the nations have gone and come And why are you still here today is because you have a task. And therefore, yes, there were trials and tribulations and there were certain challenges along the way for us to get here. But we're here. What are we doing about it? You know, there are many different examples that are brought about this and also in the the Torah. Take, for example, in the book of Psalms, King David says, a song to David when he ran away from Avshalom, his son. The Talmud asks, a song to David? Imagine, look at what happened to King David. Just take the story for a moment. His own son chases his father, who's the king, out of the house, goes and rapes his father's wives, tries to lead a rebellion against his father. Eventually, okay, the kid gets killed. And then eventually he gets killed. And what does King David say when this is happening? He sings a song to God. A song he's singing? He should be mourning. What other person would be singing in such a type of time? How is it possible that it says a song to David? Rabbi and Ibshitz, a leader of the 1600s, said as follows. The rabbi said, and he gives the following example. And he says, King David knew that being a king comes with challenges. Challenges that people that any day want to overthrow you. That's part of being a king. There's always rebellions. Kings come and go, rulers come and go, kingdoms come and go, as powerful as they may be. If there would have been any other person trying to overthrow King David, he would say that's normal. He wouldn't see that it's an act of God. He wouldn't understand that this is a challenge of God coming his way. He would think this is a normal routine of events that people try to overthrow the ruling power. But all of a sudden over here he sees, it's his own son, and his own son falls to the lowest of low. He said, such a type of calamity is only something God can do. And therefore he goes, it's a song to God recognizing that this is God's challenge giving to me. And if I just get through this, I'm on top of the world. Because I know this is godly. This is not normal. This is not natural. This is not something that I have to worry about in the natural method. I just got to work on the spiritual plane and I'll be okay. Another similar thing we find in the Talmud, that tells us that, and we spoke about this once before, that once the great sages and Rabbi Akiva were, working, were walking down a street in Jerusalem as they're walking by Temple Mount. And Temple Mount, after the destruction of Betar, after the Jews of Betar tried to rebu- the Bar Kokhba revolt, the Romans went and they plowed the entire um, Temple Mount and they wanted to build on it their own temple, their own little, uh, not little, but their own big What they wanted to call at the time, Isle Capitolina, their capital. They wanted to make on Temple Mount. And as Rabbi Akiva and his friends are walking by Temple Mount, they see that there is a fox walking out of Temple Mount. His friends tear their clothes in disarray and in mourning, and saying that, "Look what happened to the Temple." Rabbi Akiva starts laughing. His friends look at him and say, "Why are you laughing?" What's the joke here? The temple's destroyed. There are foxes coming out of here. The Marsha Rabbi Shlomadarius explains and says that fox was a sign of redemption, because he said, "Look, these evil people, the Romans, they were able to destroy us, but they cannot rebuild. They're not going to rebuild the holy. They're not going to rebuild their temple on here, and that's the proof that ultimately the holy temple will be built here." Because as long as they can't build anything there, we know that it will be the holy temple will be built there. Again, God was showing us. God was showing the Jewish people. Yes, there's a tragedy, but there's also a great level of unbelievable success and blessing. This is all a challenge to be able to get us to the next step. The same idea we always talk about the concepts of sadness and joy and how do we mix the two? That the Torah gives us a time to be sad. But the sad is supposed to lead us to a time of joy. What we see from here is, and what we must take to heart and the lesson that we learn from all of this is, that we have to live our life not only from the heart, but also from the head. That many times life throws us a lot of punches, and a lot of challenges, and it's not easy. And every single day we pray to God, don't throw money in punches. I've got enough challenges, I don't need any more. But not everybody is willing or not everybody is able or not everybody merits to see God's divine providence in every single aspect of life and in every single challenge. And sometimes because we get so succumbed by the challenges, we forget that there is even a light at the end of the tunnel and we think any light that's coming is just an oncoming train. But therefore we must remember that every challenge that God does throw to us Is like Moshe in this week's Torah reading, telling the Jewish people. It's the relationship that God craves. And part of a relationship is that we have ups and we have downs. And sometimes the greatest way that I can show you that I have a relationship with you is that I'm breaking your ribs in order to save your heart. I'm giving you CPR because I love you because I want to bring you back to life. And sometimes that breaking of the ribs is because God really loves the Jewish people that much. And therefore, when we see so many times different challenges, the Rebbe once spoke about this to the Jewish people that were going through in in the land of Israel, especially during the Six-Day War, when they thought everything was going to go haywire and everything was going to be out out and about. The Rebbe then sent them a letter and says, are you forgetting about the miraculous events that you have been there until now? Don't you recognize and see every single miracle that you have? And with this, the Rebbe was telling the Jewish people, And the Rebbe tells us And the Torah tells us Of every single time Look at the Jewish people For 1900 years There were so many other nations That lived on the land of Israel 1900 years There were so many nations There were nations But the land of Israel lay folly The Jews came back After 1900 years To the land of Israel The same way they found it 1900 years ago Nothing was done Within 70 years Within the past 100 years More was done In the land of Israel In every shape and form Than was ever before Why? Because what we see over here is that God gives a gift to the Jewish people. The problem is we don't recognize our gift. We complain about so many other things, but then look a moment. The Rebbe once wrote to somebody and says, You have your health. You're feeling good. You have your children. You have nachas. Have you thanked God for that? Have you taken a moment to appreciate that? Over here, Moshe was telling the Jewish people, Yes, you have to have introspection when it comes to the month of Elul. Let's take everything into account. And remember that you, when you return to God, and therefore, what does Moshe say? How do all these things happen? Because you don't have joy. What does it mean you don't have joy? You don't take a moment to appreciate and to be happy for what you have. But even more so. The Rebbe said this a few years ago. In 1988, the Rebbe said the following. Then he said it in 1991. He says, you know, teshuva, to repent, to return to God can come in many different ways. But now, What Moshe was telling the Jewish people is that the way to return to God is out of joy, out of happiness, out of wanting and being excited about that appreciation and that relationship with God. You can have return to God and say, I don't want to be punished, I don't want to get all those calamities. Well, What Moshe was telling the Jewish people is not that you're going to get the calamities, on the contrary. Serve God with joy. Return to God with joy and you avoid anything joy breaks through all barriers all the barriers the barrier, any barrier that's in front of you you have joy, you have faith that will ultimately break through any single barrier that a person has any type of suffering a person may be even in our own limited capacity we sometimes create these confinements and these boxes and we say this is who we are but what joy does, it lifts us above it allows us to see out of it allows us to be in a different type of relationship taking the bitterness, transforming it into joy, taking the teshuva and doing it out of pleasure and happiness, gives us the ability to understand, appreciate, and see that these are not curses that Moshe was talking about, but they're actually tools for us to connect to God, ways of a relationship that God says, you, Am Yisrael Chai, the Jews are for eternity.